Hey, hey, welcome to eCrime Bites episode 13. This one's called Credit Fixers for Hire. So back in the 2008-ish days, there was the recession and there were a lot of credit fixing companies out there in the five or so years afterwards. And that's the time era that we're going to talk about in this case. So for, um, let's just go ahead and get into our case details that let's we do usually it. do, Seth. Yeah, let's do it. So I'll, I'll take the uh, technology. So the tech, well, first of all, first of all, if you're jumping into this, hold on. There are some amazing fucking updates coming about old cases. So after we introduce this and we do our song, we got some great, great stuff coming for you. So this case, we're going to talk about technology and the technology is going to be credit reports. And why is that important? Well, if you're a business and you're giving somebody a loan, you want to know how trustworthy they are financially. If you're a person and you want a loan, you want the lowest interest rate. You want the lowest payments possible and a better credit rating on your credit report equates to better payments for you. Yeah, I'll go, so on, my, keep... I'll go on my diatribe in a bit about, I think like... Um... My thought is that your credit report is one of those things that is shockingly critical to your life in America. And a lot of people, you know, whatever your income or socioeconomic background, your credit report will impact you. And uh, this is a good case of showing how desperate people can be. And we'll talk about some everyday stuff that could be impacted. And another piece of technology here, and I'm just, these are kind of some general concepts I was thinking here is, Police reports, but specifically false police reports. And you're probably like, what does that matter? Well, it's identity theft. So it's false police reports that someone had identity theft happen to them that didn't have identity theft happen to them. And that's what the credit fixing companies will use in this case as their tool for their crime. Yeah. So speaking of which, let's talk about the crime. So there's really kind of two here at issue. One is fraudulent ID theft reports. And we, we know that these happen inside the police department, which should freak you out, right? We expect crooks to act like crooks. We don't expect the cops to act like crooks, uh, but no one is uh, necessarily above reproach. And then the other crime would be fraudulent disputes on credit reports. So we'll get into some of that when we get into the, uh, the details of the case. Criminals here. So we got two credit repair agencies, not credit reporting, but credit repair. So agencies that, or companies that you would go to if, let's say, your credit report or your credit score was low and you wanted to get some help to maybe dispute some charges or things on your credit report, these are the companies that you would go to. There are two police officers involved. And specifically, I thought this was important that the police officers, you can think of them here as, yeah, it's bad that that they're helping here, but this is where you have an insider too. So it's not just law enforcement, but you have law enforcement insider gone bad, which is sort of doubly bad in this particular case. And there's some other people, and I don't have the full list of names because in a lot of these, these court documents, they charge conspiracies, but the only name a select few, but then they'll use plural terms on individuals. So you can tell there's other people, but they don't say who they are. So it sounds like this is a much bigger conspiracy than what we're seeing. And what we're seeing here is two 
credit repair agencies and two police officers. Yeah. In terms of the victim, um, good question, right? Who are really the victims here? No one immediately lost anything of value. Um, but what the bad guys did here was clearly fraud. So it sounds like people were able to obtain credit that they may not have earned or were necessarily um, entitled to. But we don't have any information as to any of them defaulting on said credit. So in other words, if you know I was able to manipulate illegally and get you know a two percent mortgage instead of a four percent mortgage, if I'm able to make the payments, you know, was there any real problems there? It's an interesting question in terms of if you're looking at it outside of ethics, who, you know, was it a victimless crime? I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Keith, Keith, excuse me, tell us why this case was interesting. I picked this one for the insiders, the insiders being the police officers that filed these false police reports. I found that nugget interesting in this case. And I tried to pick, in all these cases, I tried to pick one really interesting facet about the case. And that was this one is the police officers helping out these commercial companies and getting paid on the side and doing something illegal. So with that, we're going to play our music here, but Hey, stick around because we got some crazy, crazy updates on our last couple of cases that we need to share with you. So see you soon. All right, welcome back. All right, like I promised, we have some great updates. Look, I got a visual banner for this now. See that? Updates. Please tell me you're these watching updates this. are about our friends in Annapolis. Please tell them this is about our friends in Annapolis. They are. They are. And oh my God. I So if you haven't been on our social media, you really need to. And on our Facebook page, our public Facebook page, which you can get to through our website, ecrimebites.com. I post our new videos and our episodes. You, you don't have to go to a podcasting app. You can actually go to these social media sites and watch them. And so I'm posting it there and it was our Annapolis one. And I don't know if you remember, but I live in Annapolis. So it was one of the reasons why we picked this case is it was a local case to me. And uh, of course I posted it and I put it on Facebook and I was like, Hey, all Annapolis friends, check this out, check out this case. Cause you know, it's all local to us. And I have this tape, this neighbor and I'll, I'll keep this neighbor silent. I promised Tim, I would not tell who his name was, but anyways, on our Facebook page, if you go on there and you check uh, the comments, Tim told us a wonderful, wonderful story about when he was invited over to dinner with the Annapolis spies that we talked about in the last episode. And I thought I would share what he, I, I can't even like paraphrase this. I just got to read what he says. Cause it's just, it's, it's art. So our, so this neighbor is actually a neighbor friend of mine now. And so he's, he's saying to us, they lived across the street from me for a year and we went to their house for dinner one night. I would have never suspected them of being spies, not because they were too normal, but because they were complete weirdos. She got so drunk that she fell down the stairs during her own dinner party and her husband was a LARPer. And I'm going to pause here. Nothing against LARPers, but wait till you see how this guy LARPs. Tim continues on, who would practice his sword fighting skills in their driveway, dressed as some kind of medieval warrior. They both were absolute Fruit Loops. So I was like, oh my God, 
So I, I, I immediately answered and I said, oh my God, this is great. And then my wife gets on there. Her name's Andrea. And she goes, you knew a LARPer? I'm so jealous. So Tim continues and says, it was fascinating. He could do sword play in slow motion, like Tai Chi, but with a sword, all while keeping an eye out to see who was watching. <laughs> oh, and he was cooking when his wife plummeted down the stairs. So when I went to get him, he just kept stirring and said, yeah, she does that sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I did. I mean, that's I did. too delicious. I, I don't even know what to say. I'm not nothing against LARPers, LARPers, and those who don't know what that means. It's live action role playing. Uh, hey, that's cool in the gang. Um, it's something I'd expect my my 11 year old to do, not a 47 year old dude to do. But hey, to each his own. Maybe he can do that in prison. Yeah. So that was a wonderful, wonderful story. And if that right there does not convince you to go to our social media and check out the comments and participate. I don't know what will, because that just made me fall out of my chair laughing when I read it last night. I was like, this is too perfect. I got to read this on our next episode. Keith, please tell me of updates on Dr. Shitbag. Please tell me of updates on Dr. Shitbag. No, that's next week, right? I do. I do. You're, you're a couple, couple points ahead of me. I have a whole thing of updates on Dr. Ilg Shitbag. It was, I have so many updates in this episode that I have to push my updates off for him to the next episode. All right. we, How about our other favorite, favorite uh, bad guy? <laughs> we need to do Dr. Ill justice. So our other one was a kind of a surprise this week. I was combing for new cases and one popped up and it said, plug walk Joe pleaded guilty. And I was like, no shit. So I started reading it and he pleaded guilty to two counts. If you remember back to episode five, we did a whole episode on Plugwalk Joe in episode, it's either four or six. It was either before it or after it. We did the Twitter hack, which was also Plugwalk Joe related. There was a whole list of shit that Plugwalk Joe did from, um, if I remember correctly, swatting people to hacking places to sim swapping. Um, to sim swapping to the most egregious was just going after an underage girl, even after knowing that she was underage. And so there's this whole list and I was kind of surprised, but not surprised to see that he, he pled guilty to two counts. Um, one of them was Southern district of New York. Um, and feel free to jump in anywhere, Seth, cause you're the lawyer, but it's basically he stole approximately 794,000 worth of cryptocurrency from a Manhattan-based cryptocurrency company and then laundered the proceeds of the scheme. And that was one of the SIM swaps and the theft of cryptocurrency. I think it was like one of the first yeah, few it looks like, points that we made. It looks like they consolidated a bunch of his acts because, I guess, in, in exchange for a more simplistic, because they had him on both federal and state crimes, and it could have been extremely guilty. So it looks like... This is consolidated and flipped back to the Southern District and federal court um, to, uh, you know, I guess to get to, you know, consolidate and then be done with this case. Uh, he awaits sentencing. It'll be interesting to see what he gets. I'd be shocked if he got anything less than 10 to 15 years, but we'll find out. So as soon as we get an actual sentencing, we will uh, update everybody on the next show. Yep. So I, that was awesome seeing that update come through. Um, all right. And now, updates on us. I sent our, our first newsletter this week. Hey. So if you haven't signed up 
for our, our newsletter, please do. I don't spam you with a bunch of ads or anything like that. Uh, the la the first one, which I have, if you want to see it, you can actually go to the newsletter button on our website on ecrimebytes.com. And under the sign up part, there's a archives section. And I just put the newsletters there as well. So if you want to go check it out, the first one's up there. It's just, hey, welcome. And here's the last 30 or so cool things that we've we've published and a synopsis of each one. So if you like your updates coming straight to your inbox, that's the way you can do it. And I'm going to try to be pretty regular on it when we publish um, pretty decent big updates. We've also been kind of thinking about merchandise a little bit. Seth and I have been talking about we haven't settled on anything yet but we kind of have enough material on it where we could actually start thinking about merchandise which is pretty cool so if any of this interests you do drop us a line on our social media because if anybody thinks like a particular joke is funny or anything like that we can have them made into t-shirts and designs and things like that so just saying we want to hear from you and what your thoughts are on that Indeed. all right and the last thing is a request from us to you we're we have enough of a history now what are we like three months in and i think we're 20 some odd nibbles in and we're 13 episodes in that we have enough material that we could use your help to introduce us to people that don't know us and first of all thank you for the thousands of listens we're in the thousands now which is awesome and totally surpasses anything that i've ever thought this would do but if you know anybody that likes true crime podcasts or just humor or computer nerd humor that we produce, please just let them know. Let them know about our podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, especially, if you just click five-star review on our podcast, that helps us up bubble up the charts so people that don't know about us see us and then they say, hey, other people think this is great and they take a listen. And if you don't use Apple Podcasts, I don't, I'm not an Apple guy. I, I use other podcasting tools. Most of them have their own little voting system. Like I think Spotify has like a thumbs up or a star system. Anything anywhere helps us out. We appreciate it. And that's the only thing I think we'll probably ever ask from you guys. And, and this is, this is the point where I was going to say, Seth, be sure to come back next week because we're going to have some stuff on Dr. Ronald Shitbag Ilg to talk about. Indeed. All right, let's get into the case today. What have we got? All right, so our case, let me give you a little background. This is going to be a little bit different than our other cases. We're not going to build you up to the crime. We're going to kind of get you into the crime almost on step two. But step one is I got to give you a little background, especially if you don't live in the United States. And I do see a lot of downloads from overseas. So let me give you a second or two about credit reporting agencies. There's three main companies that are credit reporting agencies. It's Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And if you're in North America-ish and probably, I imagine, EU and most places that uh, do like online transactions and, and so forth, these companies, everybody knows who these companies are. They're basically God when it comes to determining your credit report. You want to go buy a car? Is it going to be 4% interest or is it going to be 7% interest? Your credit report is going to determine what interest you're going to pay. And if you don't know what that means, that's like the extra money that you're going to pay on the money that you borrow in order to buy that car. So it's 
extra money that you have to pay back and you want to pay back as little as possible. So your goal as a consumer is to keep these three companies happy. Don't let them know bad things about you financially, because if they do, they're going to put them in the record. Your credit reports, gonna, your score is going to go down and then your payments on things like that are going to go up and you may not even get credit offered to you. You may want to go to get a credit card and make an application for it. And they say, Hey, your credit score is not good enough. And we're not going to, we're not even going to give you the credit card. We're not even going to consider having you pay more. We're not even going to give it to you because you're just too much of a risk. So that's the groundwork here. So if let's people make mistakes, it's humans make mistakes and everything, you know, it, it boils down to humans in the end. And there's all the time where credit things can get attached to your report accidentally because you have a very similar name as somebody else, or an account number is very similar or a phone number is very similar. And, um, when those times happen, when you see something on your credit report that, you know, that's not, this isn't the cause of you, you didn't open a credit card, for instance, and it's showing up on your credit report. You have to go and dispute that because that could adversely affect your credit report and then make you have to pay more. So you can either do this. There's ways you can do this basically just by going to the three main companies and doing the dispute. But a lot of people won't go with the links to that because it's a, it's not a simple process. It's not it's intuitive a soul process. Sucking process. The credit reporting agencies are very much bureaucratic messes. And there are places you probably have seen them advertised on late night TV who will do some of that work for you. And look, it really matters. I mean, I can tell personal stories of myself or people that I'm close with that I've seen all manner of screwed up things regarding their credit. I'll give you some examples. You join a gym and your gym takes your credit card and they charge your credit card every month for your gym membership. And then you tell the gym during COVID, you know what? Your gym is closed, so I'm going to cancel my membership or pause it, which means I don't expect to get billed monthly while I'm not able to go to your gym. And I know several people whose gyms kept banging their credit card even though the gym itself wasn't open because it's probably a third party that the gym is hired to process your payments and things get lost in translation, right? So let's say that suddenly you're like, I'm not paying that. The gym wasn't even open. Well, they may have an automated process, meaning that third party processor that says, oh, you're, in, you're, you're derelict, right? You're not making your payments. That gets reported to the three big companies there and it dings your credit. Right. That's one example. Many of you probably have had some kind of run in with your medical insurer and they want you to pay the full nineteen thousand dollars for your X-ray because they didn't realize that you have insurance on it and your insurance charges you six bucks. And until that gets sorted out, it's very possible because some places are aggressive and it's automated. They send the fact that you didn't pay the full nineteen thousand dollars for services rendered to Equifax or TransUnion Experiment and it dings your credit. So all this stuff happens all the time. I would argue, and I'm not an expert, there are people that are, most people's credit ratings aren't exactly accurate. And you might be thinking, who cares? I'm a renter. I don't, it, it matters. If you ever want to buy anything of value, a car, a home, it matters. Should I know people who are women who date who actually want to know the guy they're dating's credit rating to make sure that he's not risky? All of this matters and it really matters. Let's say you're stretching to buy your first house or any house rather, and to make the numbers work, you need an interest rate that's say below 4%. 
And if your credit is screwy or not right or just not great and they only want to charge you 7 or 8%, that could be a, you know, four, five, six hundred dollar a month swing, depending on the size of your mortgage. So it really has real consequences. I would argue that your credit score is one of those things that is incredibly relevant and powerful to the positive or negative aspect of your life. And it's kind of scary to me that it is part of a very imperfect uh, process. And it's interesting how more people don't go ahead and talk to, a, they call them credit doctors is a, like a, you know, a word for these companies that can dispute your credit for you. And many of them are definitely, I'm sure, very reputable and very good. But as we've come to learn, it is a potential for fraud. And I think you'll get to see that. But I wanted to give you a little bit of background on what was not really meant to be a diatribe, but this has real like, you know, direct impacts to people's lives, right? I mean, if you can't afford your car because you can't get credit for it, how do you get to work, right? Especially if you're like a, um, uh, a worker that has to go to the office, right? Things along those lines. So this has real, I can understand why somebody might be tempted to go to a less than a reputable credit doctor because they don't have any other options. So no judgments here. If anything, I judge that fact that our, our society is so centered around a credit report, which may not even be accurate, and in many cases is not. Yeah, and so these three credit report, these three agencies to dispute these things make it very, very difficult because otherwise I think everybody would be doing it, so they make it very difficult. There's sort of an easy button and that's getting somebody or paying somebody to do it for you. And that is the credit repair agencies that we're talking about in this case, yep. conceptually. So the first credit reporting agency that we're going to talk about is owned by this married couple. Their name is Vanessa and Mario Perez. And wait, wait, what? what? Sorry, I'm upside down. That's some domestic bullshit right there. Yeah, all right. Uh, Seth asked me to have that on ready, on ready for this one. When it's a husband and wife team, that's our next, that's our sound Yeah, key. we're not going to let that not happen like five times today. So yes, husband and wife owned several credit repair businesses. It looks like they had at least four of them, which I yeah. found also very interesting. Uh, I wonder why they need more than one. I wonder what the differences were. Were they adhering to different socioeconomic statuses or is it regional? I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing why they would need four of them. Or maybe they... They, I would imagine the credit reporting industry is a not so above board industry. There's a lot of, well, you're going to see in this case, there's a lot of shady shit that goes on and maybe they did some shady shit with these other companies and people were like, oh, I'll never use FSM group. And they're like, that's fine. I'll open this other one called consolidated financial services. Or maybe they're trading, you know, money in there to make it look like, you know, nothing's going on. There's a lot of times that you'll see criminals, they'll have like multiple companies for that kind of stuff, like the laundering issues behind the scenes too. So yeah. those, those might be some reasons, but they had four companies either way. So we know the clients paid them to help repair their credit score. And we know that specifically they were asked to repair someone's credit that involved a dispute for negative information. So the example that we listed here is, I was a victim of identity theft, right? That's very common. How many times have you seen, you know, uh, find out that one of your credit cards has had activity that you've never heard of. You've never been to that part of the country and somebody is using your credit card. It happens all the time. So it could impact your credit, right? Until that gets resolved or disputed, it's very much could get reported to our three big parties there, uh, meaning Equifax, TransUnion, and um, 
uh, Experian. Thank you. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's why I can see these, uh, these types of companies being very, very valuable. And who's to believe that the client or credit repair business credit disputes? The Perez's included police reports. And that's an important fact here, right? How do they add legitimacy to their claim rather than just saying, that wasn't me? They were adding police reports, which you would think adds a level of legitimacy to it, right, Keith? You would think so. But that's why I picked this case is because it's not. And I do have some pictures of Vanessa Perez here. So I, I, I'm getting in the habit now of trying to find mug shots or something to make it interesting well, for people to right? say. Then it's not just a, fate, a name rather we're hearing. It's actually somebody so, you, might, you might know. You might see them. I found three of her and all three of them. I mean, you would look at her and go, I don't imagine she's involved in fraud. Um, there's one where she's well, obviously she's getting, done something yeah, wrong she's because but she's wearing a nice suit. She, yeah. She's being perp walked in a suit in 1998. So I thought that was interesting. So I snagged that. That is, And then here's one that I think was in between those times where, and she's wearing like a dress. It looks like she's like in a casino or something ish. Looks like a nice place, you know, has a nice drink, a margarita or something in her hand. So if you're imagining credit repair, scummy people, you'd be able to pick them out. No, no. They look like normal people. There's no criminal look to them. Just normal people that are going to be doing, um, this is going to be the credit repair side of the house. And then I'm going to show you some pictures of the police officers that do the police report filing side of the house of this crime. So we know in September of 2013, both Vanessa and Mario had a complaint filed against them of one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And it was specifically for filing false information with the credit companies. And note that the, uh, the complaint did not say what specifically was filed falsely. We'll find that out shortly, though. And this is where we're kind of giving you the, I guess, the chicken before the egg. We're telling you that the complaints filed that law enforcement knows about them at this point. Yeah. And I couldn't find a lot of information about this case before. Well, they should law know about them, <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't find like a lot of lead up information other than we caught them and this is what they were doing. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. So when they caught them in 2000, that was 2013, 13, right? So, um, no, yeah. so let's go back to December, 2009, right? Where it looks like that's kind of when they probably started this. So in, well, in December, I'm sorry, November of 2013, which is just after what you talked about, they pled guilty. Right. They pled immediately. So when somebody pleads guilty, a lot of times they are either forced to, it looks like a lot of times they're forced to just tell what it was that they did. Um, You know, I logged in, I stole cryptocurrency. I did this and that. So that is why we have a lot of this information that we have because they got busted. They plead guilty and then they spilled the beans, which kind of gave us the lead into the police officers and everything else that's coming along. So that's kind of where I'm putting you in the picture here. Hey, Keith, so in December, let's pause in a second. Factually, when this credit, I don't know the answer to this. When the credit reporting agencies, sorry, when the credit doctors are hired or engaged to help fight, how are they usually remunerated? Is it a flat fee or is it a percentage of how much, I guess, less debt they owe? Or is it a percentage of, hey, you know, the more we lower your score, the more we expect you to get paid. 
I only asked that because of how much money they paid per bribed report. It seems actually fairly high. Just spitballing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but it's an interesting question, right? In other words, if a credit reporting agency ultimately charges a user five thousand dollars, it's worth it to spend two hundred bucks for a false report. But if they're only, you know, charging three hundred dollars, is it really worth your whole career to make hundred bucks? I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I don't recall any percentages. I just remember flat fees in this one, and in this one, um, so between. 2009, end of 2009 and October of 2012, which is right when they got busted, they admitted to filing all sorts of false police reports of identity theft to increase their customers' credit scores. Credit reports or credit agencies would then remove this adverse information based upon these false reports. And because of that, the credit scores went up. And when a person's credit score goes up, they get perks like not having to pay so much for a loan or being able to just get a loan, for instance. I just wonder so, how they were enumerated. That's all. I think it was, I think each client paid them a flat fee from what I recall. I don't remember the specific numbers though. They So the press is admitted to actually paying a flat fee though to the police officers for these false reports. And in most cases, they said it was $200 per report. And like you said, I saw $200 and I was like, oh my God. So how much is, how much are the Perez's charging? Right. If they're, if the police officer is making $200 for a false report, the president, I'd imagine would be charging what $500. Cause you got to be shaving off $200 to the police officer. I don't know. So I started doing some math at this point. Oh, I should stop there. They didn't just pay them in money. They also paid the police officers by fixing their credit too, using the same techniques. So then I uh, started doing some math because in the paperwork, it says the president said that they filed over 215 false police reports. And they said that there are 130 of them. False reports were via bribes to police officers. Okay. So there's two pockets of false reports. There's the, I just lied and the police officer believed me and they filed it. That's 215. 130 of them were I went to a police officer and overtly talked to them and said, I'm bribing you to file this false report because no police officer is going to take $200 to file an identity theft report. That's their job. They're just going to do it because that's their service. So I did so, a little bit on. of math. Here's what I found interesting. So outside of the ones of the police reports that were false, that were directly bribes, you have 115 of them, if I'm doing my math right, whatever it is, where it sounds like did they induce a client to go get a police false police report? In other words, if I say, hey, I'm going to file a false police report and say something got stolen, and then I'm going to call the Perez's, one of their four companies, and say, come help me, you can't argue that the Perez's are part of that. But how would they know to do that, right? So it sounds like if if a if if some if several of these these reports were who were not directly via a bribe. It sounds like it came directly as a part of their services, which is go get a false police report, which in my opinion is almost, that's worse, right? I mean, that's basically bringing a client into the crime. Yeah. The, the whole thing is, that's that's why I picked this case. <laughs> it and, was and just why like, would a at first I started reading it, and I was like, okay. I know some cops are clearly and well underpaid. I get that. But is it worth putting your career on the line for 200 bucks? 
That's almost so two hundred doing you know awful stuff for eleven thousand dollars in gift cards. <laughs> we got Steiners. We got Steiners. All right, so two hundred dollars times one hundred and thirty is only twenty six thousand dollars. So if you imagine, you imagine you're a police officer. Let's imagine just one police officer did all this, right? One, it's more than one, but let's just say it's one. One hundred and thirty times two hundred dollars. You'd throw your career away for twenty six thousand dollars, and I don't know police officers' salaries all that well, but I know they're in the like fifty ish k range ish, give oh, or I think take, depending on where they live. From place to place plus they get ot and benefits it's hard to real but it's yeah i think so that's you're, like so the, you're that, throwing... that'd be rock bottom for for a police in 2023 but okay my, my point is is like it, let's say it is 50k you're throwing your career away for less than a half a year's worth of salary you know it's just if you get caught it's not that much money it's a steiner move total steiner move it's total steiner move all right so they agreed to plead a one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Okay. So that, this is 2012 and 2013. I know I'm throwing some dates at you, but this is important because there's, <laughs> we're connecting a dots to a spider web here. Okay. Yeah. So the, the husband and wife were busted. So when the husband and wife were busted, they told them all the information that I just told you, but then they start rolling over on people. So let's, why don't you tell us about a person right. that they so, rolled over on? In early Feb of 2014, we had a guilty plea from a Mitchell Page. All right. Now we know he operated in the time frame of December 09, which is the same time frame as the Perez through October 17th. So that's because Mitchell Page was a customer of Vanessa Perez specifically. And Mr. Page claimed that he knew an officer that could get her false police reports. And that was from Price. We'll come back to that. So the officer was not named in the complaint, but was said to agree to create false reports for bribe payments. And he received at least $200 for each report. Apparently, Mitchell Page would give a portion to the officer and keep a portion for himself. So he pled guilty also to one count of, cons of uh, sorry, one count, but of, this was conspiracy to commit extortion, not wire fraud, which is interesting because extortion basically means do this or I'm going to do that, which I'm trying to understand what was he going to extort. Regardless, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Keith, you can go to the next slide. All right. So that was on February 5th of 2014. If we go two days ahead, we switch back to Vanessa Perez. That's the wife of the Perez's, uh, the credit repair agency that we just talked about. Now they're being sentenced. Okay. And you're probably like, wow, this episode's moving really fast. They're sentencing. Hold on. This is just the beginning of the story. Trust me. So Vanessa Perez is now sentenced and it was one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And it was 64 months in prison, one super, one year supervised release. In this case, like the Annapolis couple, husband Mario only got 55 months. So husband will be out before the wife. Uh, yeah. He gets a full that year less, the mastermind. it seems like, well, 11 months, um, or nine months rather. And, and I've been trying to put, yeah, we're seeing the requirement for mental health and substance abuse treatment. That apparently seems to be de rigueur. Yep. So I've been putting that in there if I, if I do notice it. And sometimes they have other weird things like you can't use a computer and so forth. And if that's, I'll put it in there, but I didn't see it in this case. This is just mental health and yep. substance, abuse, substance abuse. So then if we, that was February 7th, 2014. 
May 15th, 2014, which is just a couple months later, Mitchell Page, we switch back to her customer, this is, the customer is sentenced. Right. right. One count. 46 months in prison. Two years supervised release. Substance abuse treatment. But not mental so health. Now, but not mental nope. health. Yeah. Okay. So now we have two parties already gone through and sentenced. And I was like, I was reading this case. And the first time I read it, I was like, well, that's interesting, but I don't know if I can make a whole case or a whole episode out of it. And then I kept reading and I imagine like the SpongeBob one year later, some other stuff started happening. So now right. we switch to May 8th, 2015. All of a sudden this indictment came out. You want to tell us about this? Sam? Yeah. So now obviously the uh, authorities were now looking at the police. The police were looking at the police. So we have a Raphael Duran, who is a Miami-Dade Police Department officer. George Price, we'd heard about him earlier. He was the police officer that Mitchell mentioned can do false reports for us. Also Miami-Dade Police Department. And then a Fatima Ruiz, who owns a credit repair business. Actually, apparently several of them. So the time frame on this is also uh, similar to our, our friend the Perez's. Uh, here, this is early 2010 through uh, so that same date, October 17th, 2012. Do we know why that date is so key, Keith? Is that just when the date when they cracked down on it or they executed? Yeah, I think it was be. either somebody got arrested. It was like the first arrest or, you know, they knew that they were being investigated and right. stopped. Now, what's interesting here is look at the different counts here. Much, much broader, right? One count, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. There were two through 12 wire fraud counts, another count for conspiracy to commit mail fraud, and then another six counts on mail fraud. So they dropped the hammer on the police way more than I would argue the masterminds of this, which were the Perez's and uh, the other person whose name I already escaping be, but the other um, credit repair, oh, sorry, Fatima Ruiz, who's already, already here. And here's a picture, I think, that's coming up. So can you tell us about Rafael Duran? So Raphael would, well, first, let me tell you a little bit about him and then I'll show you a picture. So he would receive a name from these credit repair agencies. So there's, there's two basic sets of people, lots of companies that they own, but two basic sets of people is the Perez's and Ruiz. They own the companies and they come to him and they would say, here's a name. And he would just generate a false police report said that, oh, this person is a victim of identity theft. Um, he would be paid by the credit repair company, not the credit reporting company, the repair company. So the Perez's and the Ruiz in this, um, this case that we're talking about, but he also would have his and his associates credit repairs as payment because who doesn't want higher credit? Cause you pay lower, <laughs> you pay lower fees everywhere. So. And I thought this was interesting. I, I was like, oh my God, how is there not a check and balance for this? I read in the paperwork, he created a police report for himself and his, and a personal associate of his, of this identity theft. And I would think in the police department, police department, if someone came up to you and was like, Hey, I'm just submitting this form that says I was a victim of identity theft. I would expect it to go through some other police officer or something. It just seems like a big conflict of interest, but apparently he did it and was able to do it. And he, on the report, and I guess, I guess to the department's credit, he did falsely state in there that it was investigated not only by him, but somebody else as well. But 
again, it's, you know, it seems shady. That's like that if was... you work at a big company and you like go to a website you're not supposed to go to, and you say, "Don't worry, I'll take a look at this," even though I'm the guy that just did it. <laughs> Actually, this was just fine. Nothing. I mean, this is the kind of like that. And here, I'm going to put a picture up for you. This is uh, Rafael Duran. He is coming out of court here because, as you can see, he's been indicted and had to start dealing with all that kind of stuff. So let's find out what else happened to him. So tell us about Price. Sure. George Price, right? So we know this is uh, the former client of the Perez's. Uh, He would do the same thing as Duran, but he did... um, but Duran used a co-conspirator between him and the credit repair companies. Uh, and in this instance, Mitchell Page would run, in, would run the info f- to Price, and he would be the you know man in the middle for payments. Yeah, so George All Price connected. is another police officer. Police officer, I would say, given that description, he is... He's less involved in the scheme than Duran. But he's involved in it. He's just yeah. not the mastermind of the two police officers. He's more of a, a follower than he is a doer, it sounded like. So let's talk about Fatima Ruiz, who also has a credit repair business, several of them. right? So Fatima would pay Paige for Price's services and would use false reports, police reports rather, to dispute valid negative information on customers' credit reports. And, of course, because of that, customers' credit scores would go up. Ruiz also obtained a false report that someone stole her identity from Officer Duran. And she used that report to remove some negative items from her own credit history. So this is quite the little web we have here. It's like a magic eraser, right? They're just like, I don't like this thing. Let's just go make a report. Boom. Gone. Off my credit report. When, in fact, it was probably true. Right. And just let's pause on that. It's really actually interesting, right? Because if you call a credit repair company and you say, hey, listen, this is a false charge, right? They have to take your word for it, right? And they're probably going to do their own investigation. And what they probably do is, you know, go to the point of sale and, you know, see if there's any information that can confirm or deny that, you know, somebody did or didn't actually make that, didn't, you know, make that charge, right? And now with everything being bought online, it's even harder to do that. But if you present a police report, you know, ostensibly that shows that, you know, you took the extra effort as a, uh, you know, a, a person who was, you know, uh, subject to fraud or, or had fraud committed against them, you know, to show, look, there's legitimacy here, right? Just like if you lost a piece of jewelry and you want to let your insurer know, you probably want to show them that you actually have submitted a police report. Otherwise, you could have just made it up. Um, so it's an interesting approach that's obviously simple. Well, I'll just, you know, the key thing that makes us get legitimacy to this claim is a police report. We'll just get those. And uh, it's just disappointing that the police department, or at least the ones at issue here, were so easily bribed for a fairly small amount of money. Yeah. So August 7th, 2015. So we're moving along in time here. George Price, the second police officer, the follower, not the doer, pleads guilty right away. And I was like, wow, that was very quick when I, I, when I was reading the documentation. He pleaded guilty to one count, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And I'm thinking, immediately I'm thinking, this guy, he just, he said, I'm guilty. I'm going to, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to deal with my sentencing and I'm going to get on with life. And I was like, he's going to probably get the best 
lightest sentence out of all these people because he was just, he just said he owned it, right? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't fight it and try to go to trial and all that kind of stuff. So keep this in mind for a second here. George Price then goes to sentencing in October of the same year. Not 2105. That's uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not showing you guys. Not showing you guys the slides, but yeah, in my slides, I, uh, I, I monkeyed that up. And October 21st, uh, 2015, he sentenced. And what is he sentenced to? 48 months, three years oh. supervised release. So four, just over four years in prison, three years supervised release. Now, remember this, four years, right? If you're going to trial and there's no hindsight here, it's 2015. And let's say you're... Uh, Raphael, and you're going to trial and you just looked and George Price went, I'm guilty. Uh, it's me. And they went, yep. Four years. You're going, Oh, if I'm guilty, it's probably going to start at four years because I fought this thing. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. So May 10th, 2016, uh, Fatima Ruiz, who also has several other Credit repair companies also pleads guilty. She pled to one count of conspiracy to commit mail fraud. But Raphael so Duran, he went to trial. The one person who went to trial was Raphael Duran, the police officer, basically the mastermind of the police officer group. Yeah. And guess what? When he How went to trial, it was not a very long trial. It happened on May 26, 2016. Guilty. Count one, conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Count two through 10, wire fraud. Wire fraud. So and that was just, like. Let me just pause here. Everyone else that's pled guilty here, um, they took a plea on a conspiracy too, which is the yeah, basically idea of, yeah, we planned it, but we didn't actually do it, right? So think of Dr. Ilg, who planned to kidnap his wife and do all the awful things, but never actually got away with doing it. Here, Raphael Duran, because he went to trial and basically gambled, they went all in and got him on only one count of conspiracy, but on nine counts of wire fraud. So the actual crime, not the planning of the crime. So what did they get for his uh, his services there? So then I'm thinking, man, oh, well, actually, there's a, there's a pause. Because in between, in July of 2016, Fatima Ruiz was sentenced and she, remember, took the single count of conspiracy to commit mail fraud, mail fraud, not even, uh, I, I what was the other fraud? Wasn't there another fraud in there? Well, oh, the other fraud, one was wire fraud. There's extortion, right? There's a couple things here. So this isn't even wire fraud. This is just mail fraud. She was sentenced 30 months imprisonment, three years supervised release. So if I was Raphael at this point, I'd be shooting a brick going, all right, well, Four years for the guy I worked with, three right. years for the woman out. that hired me. They pled out. He gets sentenced, 30 months imprisonment, three years supervised release, $800 fine. And I went, what the fuck? Yeah. So he got less than the police officer that pled guilty to it immediately. He got four years. This guy got 30 months. And only an $800 fine. And he actually got what Ruiz got just for the mail fraud. So I was like, I saw this. I was like, oh my God. And then I'm like, oh my God. If I was Price, I'd be so pissed off at this point. 
So then I guess there was like an appeal or some court process where basically George Price's attorneys went back and was like, did you see that shit? He got three, he got 30 months. How come we got 48 months? And they reduced his sentence down to 24 months imprisonment with 24 years, four year, three years supervised release, which still I'm kind of like the guy pled guilty almost immediately. He only got six months less than if he would have went to trial, which just seems not right but yeah i mean there's a lot that's very interesting to me i mean clearly we don't have all the facts from the court documents here because that is not normally what happens no and i'll tell you seth i first read this case and i got to that first point where it was like the first group was caught and i was like yeah it's an interesting case but there's not a m- enough here and then i got to the second part where it was like the slip and the law enforcement slip and slide and it was like everybody was, you know, pleading guilty and so forth. And I was like, and then just to see the the two officers get completely different sentences, I was like, I gotta bring, I gotta talk about this because this is just, it doesn't seem true, and it it is. So with that, we are now to our conclusion. So let's walk through our thoughts on this. So I'll start with the first one. It's amazing what people will do for good credit. You would think good credit's kind of one of those vague conceptual things out there where people are like, I'd like to have good credit. But no, people will probably, I would say, well, the credit reporting agencies definitely knew they were paying for false reports. The police officers definitely knew they were filing false reports. The customers probably knew that there were false reports being filed in their name. So given that background, my, my thought on this was it's amazing what people will do for good credit. You know, they will, they will break laws to make their credit better so that they can pay less per month. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, as I said earlier, I can go on a whole other diatribe about how scary it is, how critical uh, your credit score is to you, how it will impact your life. So I'm actually not that shocked what people will do for good credit. I am shocked, though, that the police would be willing to put their careers on the line. I'm assuming that once you're convicted of a crime, it's very hard to retain or get a job as a police officer. So they all need new jobs and new careers now. That's really what's interesting to me. Um, We learned that the sentence for George Price's quick plea was not really any better than a sentence when tried by a jury, in this case, for Officer Duran. They did reduce Price's plea, but uh, I wonder if this was kind of just a, a glitch by the sentencing guidelines or some other things happen that we just don't have information about. Anybody who is familiar with this case, drop us a line and let us know because this one's a mystery. Yeah, one convention here seemed to lead to the next. That's the whole reason we know about this case is because the Perez's, the Perez's went down first and that rolled Mitchell Page. Mitchell Page then rolled over on the police officers and then the police officers and Ruiz were kind of involved. So they got them all at once. So Page was really the whole hinge investigatively here yeah. between the two different groups. And now for those of who have been paying attention and been with e-crime bites from the start, this is the second case we've seen where police officers are on the dark side here. Um, so it does happen. And, uh, you know, while obviously we love and respect our, our law enforcement, not all of them are above reproach. Yeah. And we're willing to talk about any profession that deals with e-crime because it's in every profession. Everybody has their insiders. Everybody's doing something. There's enough people on this earth that somebody's doing something bad in every profession. And we're going to hit police officers. We're going to hit lawyers. We're going to hit doctors. We're going to hit 
everybody eventually. The last note I wanted to make on here is you can, now if you're listening to this going, oh, this is a scary thing. No, you can dis successfully dispute adverse information on your credit report, okay? If you take nothing else away from this and you have something on there and you're like, oh God, you know, there's a credit card that was opened and I never opened it or anything like that. You yourself can dispute it with those three credit agencies that we talked about up front, or you can go to a more reputable credit repair agency and have them do the work for you. So don't be scared of the process. Just do it legally <laughs> is all we're saying. So Seth, um, well, actually, uh, let me hit you with the website first, ecrimebytes, E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y as in yellow milk, T-E-S <laughs> dot com. And if you go there, there's a drop down if you're on your mobile phone. It's like a little hamburger, you, not an actual hamburger, but like a three line thing where you click on it and it drops down the menu. And we've got all our social media up there. So like the Facebook page that we talked about up front, all that stuff, click in there, go interact with us. Uh, let us know what types of episodes you like. Let us know what you don't like. You can see we don't even have ads yet. So we're kind of like everything goes right now. We're just experimenting with the neat cases that we see come across and we're kind of um, listening to what our audience say. And if somebody says they like a particular type style of a case, we'll try to do a couple more in that area because we want to produce stuff that you guys want to listen to. So with that, with all that administrative stuff out of the way, do you have any more thoughts about this case, Seth? I mean, I'd be curious to see the follow-up on this one. And I think there's probably a lot more uh, to it just regarding, you know, it almost be interesting to do a deep dive on the world of credit reporting and more importantly, the credit agencies who, sorry, the credit fixing agencies, how do they get paid? Um, you know, and how do you know if one of them is legit or not? I mean, like I said, we probably all could use a tune up on our own credit, especially if you're about to make a bigger purchase. Right. Um, so it, it's an interesting world. I also wonder, frankly, how much other fraud, uh, you know, whether e-crime related, cybercrime related or just old fashioned is involved in, in what happens there. Um, it's an interesting issue. And, you know, it's one that I see if John Oliver has done an episode about to a deep dive on it. Yeah, I I just thought this case like this case would have been completely different had they gone to the police officers and said, hey, uh, you want to make a little money? And the officers went, yeah, and then basically would have done a sting instead of pocketing the money. You know, it's just it was such a, a it took a different turn in the middle that I just was like, this is a very, very well, interesting and that's, case. So. You know, a recurring theme we've seen, which is people who are doing not just illegal stuff, but stuff that would literally destroy their careers for not a lot of money. Right. I mean, if somebody said that's, Keith, you're that's being do this, Steinard. Right. If you're going to do this and you're <laughs> never going to be able to operate in that space again, but you're going to walk away with like eight million dollars. You'd at least think about it. You'd have a serious conversation with yourself thinking about it. But if they were like, you're going to make $8,000, like, I'm not doing that, right? I'm, I'm not doing that. I'll go to prison or lose my career for $8,000. I mean, you know, even if you were like really, really destitute, right? You know, you had crazy debt, you know, at some point, like, what do you, you know, I mean, you can get a side hustle to make that money back. I mean, what are we talking about here? If you haven't listened to our last episode, um, no, actually, is it our last episode? No, it was the one before. It was the um, Michael Mann episode. 
there was an individual in there that got paid for his crimes. Millions of dollars. He helped his friends. Yeah, he enriched paid. his friends for, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And this was over the course of years. And he got a total of what? It was, what was it, like $11,000 $11, in Amazon gift cards. Amazon gift cards. So if you haven't heard that episode, you've got to go back and listen to it. And I know I do see the stats and stuff and it does look like people jump around and stuff. That episode is crazy because they, without that guy, couldn't have done that crime at all. He was the, he was the insider, right? That's, I guess, the third thing to take away is the insiders here, you know, make it happen. So here the insiders, I'd say, were the cops, right? The cops yep. were able to legitimize these, uh, you know, reports for, you know, um, uh, you know, for, for identity theft and thus, you know, claim that the, the credit reports were inaccurate. And, um, you know, I mean, insider threat, it's, it's one of the things I do for a living. It's very interesting. And with that, that's about all I had on my mind. Hey, come back next week. Again, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about Ronald Ilg up front because he, he didn't stop when he went to prison. He didn't stop. Let me, I'll he just didn't tell suddenly you that not become an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> So we hope to see you on that next episode. Thanks for sticking around and see you then. Thanks all.